Hello, everyone, and this is In This Moment Podcast, and I'm your host, Diallo Smith. This episode is titled The Divide Between Black and White Evangelicals in the Church. This conversation was to give a perspective from someone who has been a part of the Black church and the White church, and to truly uncover the issues that have been seen personally by being part of both congregations. I pray that this can bless you and that the church can keep having these conversations in a real way. So here's episode two, The Divide Between Black and White Evangelicals in the Church, featuring Jairus Truss. Jairus, how are you doing today? Mandy, how I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really good. Um, I'm so excited to talk about the topic that we're going to be talking about, which is the huge divide between white and black evangelicals. And we have seen this not only in the civil rights movement, we have seen this also just in our churches and how we vote. And so when I was thinking about who can I talk to about this, you're the first person I thought of that has really been a spiritual leader, not only on our school campus, but you're also a spiritual leader in your local church. So before we get started, can you just introduce yourself and what your major is, where you live, everything like that? Yeah. So, yeah, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, shortly after I was born, my parents went to the military. So we moved kind of just all around with Georgia, Germany, Hawaii, Northern Virginia. And um, yeah, just moving a lot. Came to Liberty in 2015 and um, ended up finishing with communications and a minor in pastoral leadership. Um, so kind of just been all over the place and then landed in that. So, yeah, just finished up this past May. So. Wow, that's so exciting. Um, so one of the first things I wanted to start with was what is your background in the church? Did you grow up in a more predominantly white church or a black church or a multi-ethnic church, which in my opinion is what church should be? And how was your experience in these churches? So when I was, I mean, born in Birmingham, Alabama, actually my family, we had like a kind of like family church, I guess you'd say my great uncle was the pastor over that church. And um, it was more on the Pentecostal side of things. But then as I just grew up, I went to more non-denominational churches. Um, then landing in Northern Virginia, we had a very multicultural church, but still predominantly Black. And then once coming to Liberty, my first year, actually, I church top like every other student and you don't know really what to do. Right. Um, yeah. But I landed at Thomas Road Baptist Church, which is predominantly white. I mean, thousands of people. It's the largest church I've ever been a part of uh, with it being qualified as a mega church. And um, but it is predominantly white, which is where I kind of landed, which is kind of odd just through my background. But at the same time, I don't think it was by mistake. So, yeah. Yeah. And now being in a predominantly white church. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had like any experiences in in that type of environment? Yeah, you know, it's actually funny. So I know, I mean, I've had this conversation a couple of times with people and I actually forgot about a major instance. I don't know how, but <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, for the most part overall with the adults and things like that, you know, I think it is a very welcoming and loving church, you know, but just like any church, it's full of people and yeah. have their own issues and yeah. you know, ministry is working with people it w- you know they're saying ministry would be a whole lot better if you didn't have to work with people yes you know um yeah. i was actually serving in high school ministry for about three years a little over three years and uh, it was about i think maybe last year early last year i sat on a panel um actually with the adult pastor who is cuban and hmm. we sat on a panel on racism and it was last early last year, and we did it for the high school ministry for two services. 
And right immediately that week following this, um, the high school pastor gives me a call and he goes, hey, Jairus, I just want to bring this to your attention. But apparently there are some kids who are uncomfortable about kind of like, you know, what you and Lewis said about just like your interactions with cops and different things like that. Hmm. And we were kind of like confused. I was like, I mean, and they said they disagree with you. I said, how do you disagree with my experience? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Like, That's mine, <laughs> you know? Right, and, right. Um, but, and, but later to find out, it was some of the people closest to me, you know, who wow. uh, kind of just felt, it, it kind of just showed that they, just how they were raised. One of their dads was a cop and he was divorced and so he'd hear his dad complain a lot about minority communities. And so he had this idea of what minorities are. And, you know, though I was serving in this church and I was loyal to the church and I was faithful into opening the word of God, you see how quickly it was blinded all by a prejudice that was built into somebody's system. And, wow. you know, that it really hurt me because, like I said, it was students who were super close to me. And mm. you know, that was that was a hard time, even for our church. I mean, our executive leadership had to get involved. Um, and, you know, but one of the executive pastors at our church, you know, he was very clear this will not be tolerated. And for him, he then knew, he always knew it was an issue on the back of the burner. But of course, this had to come to the light like that, he goes, this is not happening and not at this church. So wow, did appreciate that. So yeah. that's so good. I, I, when I was younger, I grew up in more of a predominantly black church, but I found more of my spiritual footing in a white mega church and honestly i kind of had two experiences like being in a white church yeah. um so the first one back at home where i am now it was really good you know they they had the race conversation a lot you know they really try to take initiative to always include diversity and and different types of experiences and backgrounds and we had 10 minutes up the road there was a whole black demographic that we weren't reaching and they said mm -hmm. okay let's plant a church there because we see a problem you know it shouldn't be that there's 10 minutes up the road that there's a whole demographic that we're not reaching to so let's start and then when I got into college in Lynchburg I went to another all-white mega church and one of the like I was volunteering with the high school ministry actually mm -hmm. and these two volunteers, they were talking and at first kind of started off, you know, we were just introducing ourselves and the lady, she first said, oh, do you go to Liberty? And I said, yeah, I do go to Liberty. And she said, do you know that when I was there, you couldn't interracially date? And in my head, I'm kind of thinking, okay, that, I mean, cool. You know, I don't really know why you're bringing that up mm -hmm. right now, but okay. So I said, oh, wow, really, you know, whatever, cool. We move on. And in my head, I'm like, that's pretty odd. And then this other woman is talking about her son and her roommate. And she was just saying, I am so scared because uh, my son's roommate is from the Middle East and he's in the aviation program. And the other woman responded and said, oh, I would be scared too because he's flying planes. And I was so shocked. I just jumped in and said, why are you afraid? You know, is he a believer? And they said, yes. And I said, so this shouldn't be a problem. And I remember after that day I volunteered, I never went back to that church because I felt like I was already, when I was going to that church, I already felt kind of odd. And that was the first time that I went to a church and I felt that I was, this sounds weird, but I was black because usually in church, 
you know, I just feel like we're all believers. We're all in the same body and we're having conversations and we're looking at diversity and we're celebrating it, but it's never something that's like an other, you know, as in if I go and society of America, I know I'm a black man. And so already I was feeling that from that church. And I heard that conversation. I said, okay, God, like I'm, I can't do this. And then I had to go to another church and it's, I was reading this article and one of the testimonies, I'm just going to quote it. And it was saying this person, they were in a white evangelical church. And it said, it was exhausting to stay in a white evangelical space. They may have been around me, but they didn't love me and wouldn't fight for me. That's when I knew I had to leave and return to the black church. And when I read this, I felt so saddened because this is the one place that the Bible says that we should all be uniting and and being in his house um, and celebrating each other and reading that and, and learning my own experience from it. I was saying, wow, there's a really huge divide to the point that one of the statistics on the Pew Research said that six in 10 Black people, Black Christians, said that we should be talking about race. And six in 10 white Christians say that we should not be talking about race. And then 40% of those people said that we should not be talking about immigration or race at all in the congregation. So yeah. with all of that being said, what is the purpose and the history of the Black church and the white church? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Thinking back into, I mean, you have to go kind of very, very far back, even when, I mean, immigration started with this nation. So, yes. you know, people come over and, you know, the this Bible, you know, that was already being distorted and how it was taught by, you know, the leaders of our nation. You know, even yeah. the thing that Thomas Jefferson ripped out certain parts, yeah. you know, because he didn't agree with it. You know, it didn't fit him. Yeah. You know? So Seriously. he was supposed to take out some of those parts that were like, nah, that don't fit me. Uh, which is obviously an example that some people today still follow, you know, in yeah. that, no matter the church, there's just parts people say, I'd rather dismiss, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, and then you get, you know, obviously slaves being brought over by ships and then them not being able to have the opportunity to read nor write. So stays uneducated. What happens when you get slave owners who had some form of sympathy uh, who began to read to their slaves or they brought the slaves into the house, gave them books to teach their children. And yeah. then, you know, but now the inadvertent teaching and education of slavery in slaves, now you get slaves who get their hands on copies of the Bible or certain just the New Testament or just the Gospels. And now they're underground teaching each other these Gospels about this Savior. And they're like, wait, there is a Savior. You know, mm-hmm. there is a God who loves us and then now they're seeing all what this is this is like this is not the life we should be living so yeah. there was a split you yeah. fast forward into the the um abolition of slavery and then you get to okay now black people can now still have they can have their own buildings their own churches but they can't integrate into white churches so now black people have now made packs because they are not invited into white churches yeah. um, and you know so now they're teaching and teaching and teaching You've moved fast forward again, you get to the civil rights movement. And now, you know, you have black people who want more, obviously, the equality with just everything, you know, to vote equal rights to be in the same schools and to better education, all these different things. So for years, two sides, there was slave owners who obviously we know are predominantly white, you know, having churches, church services, 
trying to keep people oppressed by using the Bible. And then you get black people to get their hands on copies. And now <laughs> here you are, fast forward to where we are. That's why black churches still exist because they just became comfortable with mm. worshiping with each other. And then mm-hmm. white people in a very same boat, they became comfortable. I'm not saying either is right or wrong. I'm just saying fastly, yes. you get black people who just enjoy worship with people who look like them. And the same thing with white people, they enjoy worshiping. Sometimes there's not all white people, but there's still churches out there who enjoy worshiping with people who look just like them because it's more comfortable. Because at the end of the day, each side has something to offer. And when black mm-hmm. people get to a church, I'm telling tell you, there will be clapping, there will be jumping, there will yes. be amen. Yes. You know, <laughs> that's the culture that they had because they were standing in so much agreement at one point where they can contain their joy, they can contain their happiness because that freedom really just made them open up their mouth, you know? Yeah. It's just like, you know, people make fun or like we joke around about black churches, but it's funny because, you know, we do have, we see it, you know, as black men, we go back home, we go to these black churches and we're like, man, they really believe what they're saying. Yes. Thankful. And, you know, but that's kind of, you know, that history would brought, why we have two separate, why people use the term black church and stuff like that. You can't dismiss it. I never said it was right or wrong, but at the end of the day, we got churches that are black churches because that's where they are. That's their comfort. And that's yeah. what we enjoy worshiping with, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's so interesting. I was reading this book called Woke Church by <laughs> Eric Mason. And something that when I was reading it, something that stood out to me was just the significance of the black church uh, during that time. And so kind of like what you were saying, you know, black people, they wanted equality. They wanted to integrate and they were getting pulled out of these white churches and they were getting arrested by the officers and saying they cannot worship in, in church. And they knew that it was wrong. They knew that the segregation was not biblical, which is why they wanted to pursue at least on Sundays is a place that we can all come together. But looking at how the black church was developed and how I feel like really what the church model should be of they were in the community, they were having the politicians come to the church and speak on evangelical issues. And and they were the ones that were asking the questions and and they were at the forefront of, of wanting to restore and unite all of us together. And when I look at the different stances of the Southern Baptist Church that was very out, outwardly racist and to the black church uh, during the civil rights movement, you know, the black church was the forefront of wanting to fight for equality. They were the ones that were really making it happen. Dr. King, who was a pastor, and I was looking at, you know, interracial dating wasn't even legal fully in all 50 states until 2000. And I was looking at to see who where this stance was coming from. And it was predominantly coming from the white church they were having the stance of we are not going to interracially date um and mix with each other because it's not biblical which is kind of the same type of formula that they did during slavery of just kind of taking scripture and manipulating it and i think it's so interesting like you were saying when black people you know were very expressive and during the during slavery the black people, the slaves, they would actually have these, uh, I think it was called like silent churches or ghost churches. Mm -hmm. And basically what it was is after the slave masters would have their church, they would go out in nighttime and then they would worship. And so they already came with a different form of Christianity, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of being 
it was they were honestly being persecuted and stripped of their Christianity faith to more westernized faith. And looking back at that and seeing how we've been black people have been put through so much when it comes to Christianity and and just the different types of things and getting stripped of it. Still to this day, 84 percent of black people in America are consider themselves Christians and people who are churchgoers. And that puts us at as the most Christian demographic in America, which just shows like resilience. And I was just honestly so shocked by that. Mm -hmm. And so with all that being said, why is knowing all of this information and knowing this background so important in this conversation of talking about the divide? I mean, yeah, I mean, because without, you know, you know, the people who say, oh, the quote, the famous quote says, if you don't know your history, you're going to be doomed to repeat it. Hmm. Um, but you, I mean, we have to know why we are where we are. You know, it's not like somewhere along the line, Black people said, we're done with everything else you're doing. We're going to have our own churches or yeah. you know, white people. I mean, this was rooted, this started somewhere, you know. Uh-huh. And for us to even figure out how to even begin to have uh, to even search for unity, period, we have to realize where did this divide come from? And I think yeah. it's the hardest part is, you know, there's a lot of, there. I mean, obviously we go to uh, Liberty, it's a predominantly white institute, you know, it's not right. a, there's a lot of, you know, white Americans and just international students, things like that. Um, but a lot of people, even white people don't even know their history. You know, it's kind yeah. of crazy. We, as black, I mean, you know, as a black, kid my parents always taught me black history my parents made me read biographies of w.e.b DuBose and all these other yeah. people don't know about when i was growing up but they made me because they said you're going to know your history it wasn't because they were like you're going to become grow old one day and i need you to be a civil rights activist at right <laughs> but they said know where you come from and yes. you know for white people you must know as white people know where you come from that doesn't mean you're racist, you know, that doesn't mean you're a bigot. That doesn't mean, you know, that you are holding this stance, but you need to know that at all, at, and especially in the history of our nation, the color of your skin actually did give you an advantage, you know, and yeah. things, though you may not agree with your history, that's fine. You don't have to. I don't like all of my family history, you know, right, right, um, right. But to be where we are, especially for a conversation like this, if we want to be on the right foot going forward, you must know where we started. You know. Do you also see this even how, and we've kind of seen this whole thing going on right now where people are taking down the statues and just kind of wanting to rewrite the history because mm-hmm. during the time that like these people were being put up and things were being in stone, you know, it was mostly predominantly white people at the table. Yeah. And now it's a conversation where everyone can join in. Yeah. But when it comes to the church, even how it's displayed as like white Jesus or even, you know, I know like in my ministry classes, we never talk about black uh, theologians like Octavia Albert, who was a slave, who was evangelizing. Like we, I never heard of these people. It's, it's been more of like, we forget that the Bible originated in, in Africa. Um, so do you even see when it comes to how Jesus is portrayed, how there's been this divide or how there's been like a mismark? Yeah, um, so it's kind of crazy. I've actually not ever studied where we got our picture version of Jesus to be this, you know, white guy with brown eyes and long black. <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't know if, where that even came from. Somewhere along the line, I mean, obviously because 
I mean, if you know anything about geography, ain't nobody over there that white. No one, no one. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, and I don't know if it was racially driven or not. You know, obviously in history's timetable, if it was just something, oh, this savior, this Jesus needs to look more like us, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I definitely think if you look at it and, you know, your intention is to study it, like, you know, you're probably going to see some form of, you know, a deceit, you know, that came when people depicted, you know, I mean, depicted Jesus to be this white man like that, you know, there was something yeah. that probably came behind it, you know, but at the end of the day, when you're reading your Bible and not reading just to study your Bible, to study yourself approved, and let's say people begin to open their word and look at commentaries, you're going to see, wow, I'm going to look at a map one day. I'm going to look at a map one day. I'm going to see where it's at. I see where this is at. And that is not right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Have a lot more melanin than that. So it's just like, you know, people don't think those things through. But I definitely think it helps, you know, for Black people, we notice that, you know, yeah. for black people, it's something that they've just always been taught. And even some Black kids are taught that and they don't know the difference, but then you get them to study or have the conversations. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I why is it this, you know, and it's okay to question it. I think some people are scared of a question, you know, it's okay to ask a question, you know, because we may find out like we have with some students, if you ask the right questions, you're going to find the right answer, you know, what people are afraid to do. But yeah, I definitely think it probably played a, a significant role in some form of deceit along the line when history tells us just kind of how we got this picture of who Jesus is today, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so important that you mentioned that point of knowing your history and and just knowing these things. I remember when I was talking about this on my Instagram, someone DM me and they said, Diallo, thank you so much for saying this, because honestly, I've just been so comfortable with the white Jesus and like these white biblical people and and characters are portrayed because they look like me. So I never realized how how it can make somebody else feel. Um, and other people were saying they didn't even realize that this was even a conversation. And I was telling them, no, this has always been something that we've been going on and saying, why is Jesus this portrayed in, this, in these movies? I, I mean, 90% of the movies are Jesus portrayed as white man, blue eyes, long brown hair. And yeah. it's always been something that I've always, I knew it wasn't right and it wasn't biblical, but I did wonder, you know, what is this instilling in, in new believers or in, in their children who are learning this in Sunday school, uh, this idea that it's a white savior. Yeah. Um, and kind of just turning gears. So we have seen this big outcry over this break with the George Floyd and just like this racial injustice that's been going mm-hmm. on. And I think it's really going to start to, it's been shifting people to think more broadly. Uh, So when it comes to this November and this election, how do you think white evangelicals and black evangelicals are going to vote? Because we see that in a Pew research, it said that eight in 10 white evangelicals said that they will re-vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And nine in 10 black evangelicals said that they do not feel like Trump is representing them well. So how do you think this is going to play out in, in American churches and in election? Yeah. You know, um, when I remember when, I mean, I was at Liberty and when Jerry Falwell Jr. endorsed Donald Trump and, you know, it was kind of an interesting season for the university um, because a lot of people were kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. And everyone kind of still thought Donald Trump was like 
running, but everyone thought it was a joke. Like, no one thought it was serious, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and then here you have it. Jerry did an early endorsement. And this was before our current president became a little bit as divided and vulgar as he was. Yes. We still kind of were just like, okay, well, this has to be a joke. But, you know, and it was laughter, but then it got more and more serious every day. And more and more white evangelicals begin to stand behind Trump. Why do you people, and it's like the America sees it as a shock. It should be, I mean, it should be a shock when we have like women like Diamond and Silk or Candace Owens, these people of minority, I mean, these minorities who stand behind Trump. It is a big surprise because if you look at his track record, you know, he's not always been an equal opportunist for minorities, period. And, you know, um, and then even how he, I mean, how he talks about people and, you know, even Africa, they come from S-hole countries or, you know, what he talked about. Uh, I remember one of his uh, rallies, he said, well, what the H do you have to lose? Your communities are bad. Your schools are bad. Talking about minority communities. And, you know, this is the guy who's our president of this nation. And you get the comments that he makes. Of course, Black evangelicals are not going to vote for him, you know, because... (laughs) I mean, he obviously, it's not even like subtle. I mean, it's obvious he's not going to fight for them. You know, yeah. it's obvious that he, you know, are those things. And then you get white evangelicals who hold tightly to him, number one, because they aren't recipients of his heinous speech because they're white. Hmm. So that's the divide. I know we're hmm. really arguing about Donald Trump's policy right now. Policy is not it. Right. You know, like right. no one is, I mean, as a president, you know, um, I, he has made some huge milestones for this nation. That's not, no one's really refuting those yeah. things. He's done some good stuff. Like, you know, but the thing is, character precedes no matter the amount of good you can do. You yes. know, in the Bible, it talks so much more about kind of the fruit. Well, what, the tree will be no matter fruit that it bears. It's not. I don't care if you're producing eighty million oranges. If you're telling me you're a strawberry tree and you're producing oranges, I have an issue. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, there's so many times the white evangelicals right now are standing behind Trump so heavily because he is protecting Christian values. I mean, uh, I mean, he's. I mean, he's protecting the things that what matter the most to white evangelicals. That is, yeah. keep my church open. Um, you know, and let me be able to worship whenever I want to. And then let I mean, also let me hold on to my guns, you know, things like that. Right. Black people don't care if you close their churches, because guess what? There was a point in time where they didn't even go. Come on. Exactly. (laughs) Right. But it seems that black evangelicals are holding a lot tighter to their faith versus this man who is doing a lot of, who would some would say on paper are doing a lot of good things, but his character is so flawed and it's really hurting the church itself as a whole. Because if the church as a whole came together and cared so much more about our faith versus the side of the aisle, Donald Trump would have never been in office. You know, um, that's just, I mean, that's just, he would have never been there. You know, I don't know who would have been sitting there because I think our argument would be Hillary Clinton would not be there either, you know? Yeah. And so it's just more so right now the divide is coming because white evangelicals are standing behind that man who is protecting their values, but they can overlook his hate speech, all those things, because, well, look at what he's doing. Yeah, what he's, he's doing a lot of things. And the thing is, you, you will find what you look for. Yes, and yes. black people are seeing the hate, the heinous crimes and the actions, his speech, and how he encourages violence. 
But, you know, a lot of white evangelicals, are over, they're overlooking that because they're looking at, well, he's doing good, good, good. People's uh-huh. perspectives are their reality. And right now, Black evangelicals' perspectives on our current situation with our government in America is not the same as white evangelicals. White evangelicals are looking at the things that benefit the church and the conservative party. Black evangelicals are looking at things that benefit minorities and the freedom of equality. And that's where divide is so split, you know? And I think it's going to actually, it's going to really be an interesting November, in my opinion, because Black people do not want to see Donald Trump in office for four more years. White people don't want to see anyone else in office because (laughs) he's the loudest for all of their values, their closest values. So why switch up if he hasn't hurt you? You know, wow. kind of the, what I see is where we're kind of leading coming November time frame. That is a hundred percent. I agree. Uh, just when your point, when you said the different values that we're holding, you know, black evangelicals are holding for minorities and also for equality and that freedom of equality and white evangelicals are holding more of the church and they're also holding what can also benefit them with conservatism. Mm-hmm. So how do we get to this point where is there ever going to be a time where we can value both, you know, both situations? Like, shouldn't it be just as valuable? Like, should we not be in this pick one or pick this? I mean, I agree. I think that's where we should be. And, you know, that's one thing I love. And I I don't know if this is going to be like a free advertisement for them. um, But the end campaign. Love them. (laughs) I really thoroughly enjoy yes and you know i think their mission is already i mean even if they don't hit it nail on the head the fact that they're getting people's thought process turning i'm a christian first and i am going to be involved in politics second yes everything i my faith has to come first and you know uh we did a table talk at liberty about two years ago and it was called um Christianity and politics, can they coexist? And we had, you know, Penny Nance, who is the CEO of Concerned Women for America, and, you know, um, Dr. Dave Willer, Jeff Coleman, who was a former U.S. representative. And we had this conversation, but at the end of the day, that sounds too much, almost like an oasis. So I think that's when Jesus is going to return by the time. <laughs> but in reality, though, I think the church... I can't, I'm not speaking for white versus black people. Yes. I'm speaking for like this, you know, this podcast, white evangelicals and black evangelicals. Yeah. The thing is we share something in common, evangelicals. We believe Jesus Christ is the right. only way, the truth and the life. And we also believe that our faith is what's going to change the world. So why don't we look like that? For some odd reason, if we believe what we believe, Jesus is the only way, why am I preaching anything else? Why should I be preaching liberalism? Why should I be preaching conservatism? Yeah. Why should I be preaching? No, those are not preaching. You know, if I stand whole, I promise you, that's where my biggest confusion comes in from the church itself as a whole, because we are so focused on so many things other than Jesus. And come in this season of life, if we really want to see unity, I think it's possible. But at the same time, we haven't had a strong enough believer in the highest office. You know, mm. I, we have had good men. I really do. Yes. Believe, I think there's been good men who sat behind that desk. You know, I, Barack Obama, I didn't agree with a lot of his policies. 
However, that was the most well-founded character yeah. and I've seen sit in that office. One wife, two kids, yeah. went to college, worked his way up. No you know, affairs. No affairs. Like that is immaculate. Like right. how it, like, but yet no, a lot of people overlook that. You know why? Yes. Because they disagree with the politics and the policies. But yet they will not say, man, I was a good man. You know, mm-hmm. and that's insane to me. Like that's that's a biblical that's a biblical eye where you can look at a man and say, wow, he led his family well, his wife well. His kids made mistake, and you know what? He wasn't trying to cover it up. Yep. <laughs> you know, when yep. one of his kids got caught smoking weed, he wasn't trying to slide that under the rug. It came out. He goes, I'm gonna do it. That's my daughter, you know. Right, right. That. And that's so I wouldn't want nothing less. You know, now granted, you know, like I said, he made his mistakes and things like that. But still, I think that there's still opportunity for a great man of faith to sit behind that desk and lead our country well. And I think that's what I'm waiting for, to be honest. That's so good. And I think even that's something that I always bring up, too. I'll say, you know, we've had we haven't really had a strong believer, but we've had great personalities and great people, which is just so contrary to what we have today. Kind of like you were saying with Obama, you know, he was someone who had one wife, had his two kids he came in with zero scandals uh and to this so now we have someone who has over 20 sexual allegations had multiple affairs on his wife is on his third wife uh and mm-hmm. that's all just kind of like that's all just erased because again of just like wanting to hold on to the conservative value instead of really standing true to our convictions which is why i love the amp the and campaign because they're saying you know you you have to really you can't overlook things just because of your own agenda like you really have to see and look at the bible and feel your conviction on saying hmm this person might have this and that but their character is corrupt and there's just no way i can get behind that as a believer yeah and 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 that's okay you know and that's the freedom that we have as believers to feel that way uh, and so how do we see this, how can we start to see this gap start to bridge, not only it, with uh, politics, but also just in the church? Because I feel like a lot of times in the church, it's just been very, when we talk about race, mm-hmm. it, it's, we see that a lot with minority churches and black churches. But when it comes to white churches, it's something that it, it's not very clear and direct. I was looking at this. Uh, Pew Research, and it was saying that 1% of of white evangelicals who go to Black, it, like only 1% of white evangelicals go to Black churches that have a Black pastor or go to congregations that predominantly are diverse. While now we're seeing an uptick and in increase of congregations getting more diverse is mostly all from Black and Hispanic evangelicals. So even with that, you know, I feel like it's, again, more of the Black evangelicals putting themselves in these spaces, but it's not being reciprocated, you know, and trying to fully blend. So how do we get to this point of restoration? Because I feel like we also say reconciliation, and we've never been reconciled in America when it comes to Christianity as a whole. So how do we see restoration between us and this huge gap? I mean, yeah, I think... I did a video when all this kind of started and, you know, one thing, I mean, the, I'm going to try to give this in two minutes. And I think <laughs> that number one, it is racism. Number one is not reserved just between white on black people. Yeah. I think 
prejudice, it has to be acknowledged. Everyone has a form of prejudice. And, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has a book called Blink. And in his book, he talks about snap judgments, how we prejudge people, whether that be on social media, how they dress, when they walk, when they talk. I mean, we all are always trying to put somebody's story together without talking to them. And that's the biggest problem. When you try to write someone's story, but you never met with the author. And I think that we need to begin to get more people to start listening to the people who have stories and everyone has a story. Mm. You know, and the second part is, you know, uh, when it comes down to the biblical basis, not politics, but literally loving your neighbor. I mean, when mm. Jesus was asked, like, what is the greatest commandment? Yeah, to love the Lord your God. But he continued on to say, you know, he didn't have to, you know, he <laughs> He pulled one of those black people things. You asked them one thing, they gave you a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, but like he got asked one thing, but he goes, "But to love your neighbor as yourself." I think the first, the first part is crucial: is to fall in love with God, who He is, with every being in you. But then, when you fall in love with God, it is so hard to dismiss humanity and the differences therein. You know, um, what's his, uh, Bob Goff, when he wrote the book, Everybody Always, he was faced with this question, you know, um, who should I love and for how long? And he says, everybody and always. There is no person who does not deserve our love because we were first loved by God. As Christians, the standard is so much higher. There is no Christian who I'm like, well, there's an exception if you don't really like that person because it'll get on your nerve. You don't really want to love that. There is no, no way. Even in my own friend group, you know, that in the past couple of weeks, we have had to have hard conversations about gossip, about how we treat certain people, how we talk about certain people. But because the conviction's heavier, the deeper you go in God, the less sin can exist in your life. And the thing yeah. is, overarching this racial issue, this divide between conservatism and liberalism, this, you know, it's either Trump or not Trump. These are all sin issues because the moment we begin to fight harder for those than we fight harder for our faith, uh-huh. you are falling to an, an idolization of something that's not God. And the thing is, I think it's both sides. And that's why I really want to hit on because I think so many, I mean, I mean, we go to a predominantly white school. So, so many of our white brothers feel like, and sisters, like, oh, if I say something that even though it may be true, I might be looked at as a racist, you know, or... Yeah. Even as a black person, oh, let a white person open their mouth and say something wrong. I'm a snap. Like, yeah, that <laughs> you need to just equally justice listen. So that's why I want to make sure whoever listens to this podcast, they're not like, oh, this is just two black people coming together just to jump on white people. No, let me tell you, because I've jumped to a lot of white people's defense, and you know, yeah, the thing yeah. is, I'm not out here to tell you point fingers. The thing is, the change you want to see in the world must first begin in us. The thing is, nobody wants to look at a mirror before they go outside and start showing other people themselves. That is the first step to everyone taking a good, just any area of life. Understanding it starts with you. And the last part is, what is your citizenship lie as a believer? And Paul, when he wrote Philippians 3, or the book of the Church of Philippi, there was these two women who were seen in Philippians 4 who were arguing and quarreling over some stupid stuff that was being a divide in the church. Paul, not coming as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's not coming as, you know, he introduced the letter as Paul and Timothy, servants, servants. He was trying his hardest to explain the servitism and the servanthood that he had to have. And here we are in the same way. 
if I believe Paul was writing to the church today, he go Paul and Timothy, uh, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing to the nation of America, and y'all are a hot mess right now, arguing over things that do not matter. You're doing all these things, and your citizenship is not even in America. Your citizenship is not even of this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. So why are you fighting so hard for a president, a nation, and a political party that is going to die and pass away, but you're not event a whole part of evangelicals, white evangelicals, black evangelicals. The whole part of evangelical is to evangelize. What message is louder in your life? Conservatism or Christianity? Liberalism or Christianity? Equality or Christianity? Yeah. Which one is the loudest? You know, and that is my take on it. We want to bridge a gap. The one thing that makes us all the same as evangelicals is that Jesus Christ came to save us And before he left, he promised two things, his return and his Holy Spirit to get us there. Mm -hmm. Why are we not relying on those two things? Wow. And that's a question. It's just like, I mean, that's a question that reigns over even my life. That's a conviction I'm going through as well. Why is that sometimes in heated arguments, things like that, I'm so quick to try to argue with somebody instead of listen and love them and Guess what happens when you have an argument with somebody and somebody ready to pounce on you, but you only hit them with, yeah, and I'm just, you know, the Lord's just going to work, you know. <laughs> but I'm not saying debunk everything and don't have the challenging conversations. Of course. Don't let the challenging conversations overcome you. Yeah. Kind of one of the last things I wanted to hit on was, what do you say with someone listening and, and hearing all of this, what do you say to anybody that's an evangelical and uh, that is going to go back to school this fall, that is that are in a church that aren't having conversations or their friend groups, what are some practical ways that they can be active in this conversation? Yeah, you know, I'm going to say, you know, it's a it's a simple thing, you know, um, and people are going to be like, Jairus, I just don't understand this, but it would 100% begin by loving your neighbor. And mm-hmm. I know that's an insane kind of like jars. That's not, that's, that there was no application there or anything, but let me explain when you get neighborhoods and you go into nice neighborhoods and things like that, and they have HOAs, the homeowner association that just didn't start by some government mandate that didn't come from the highest level that didn't, that started by a group of people having a standard for their, their way of living. Hmm. And their standard is what kept their neighborhood beautified. It kept their real estate value up. I mean, all these things, when you drive into really nice neighborhoods, you notice everybody grass is cut. The trash can's going on the street. Right, you know, right. I mean, like, no trash just on you because there's a standard for their neighborhood. For believers, there should be a standard for our way of life. And there is one if you open your Bible and read it. And the standard for our way of life is two things. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I kind of touched on that already. But the mm-hmm. second is accountability. When someone in an HOA, if my trash can's left out too long, we'll send a letter. If your grass is getting too long and it's not cut, we're going to send a letter. Huh. It's not to condemn you, but it's to let you know, hey, you're kind of stepping out of the line of our standard. Let me remind you of what that is. Uh-huh. The thing is, so many believers are allowing so many other believers to step outside of the standard that the Lord has set forth for us. That is no gossiping. Don't be looking at somebody because of the color of their skin. Jesus met with a Samaritan woman and he called her out for it in the most loving way, but said, I'm here to heal you. He's literally giving the whole husband 
which husband he asked her. You got five of them, you know, what are you sleeping with? Not to do it in a condescending way, but he goes, I see you and I see everything you come with and I'm going to still love you no matter what. Yeah. That's the problem with us. So that would be my biggest encouragement. Yeah, love your neighbors yourself, but there has to be accountability in friend groups. Even with my black friends and like when we make jokes and stuff, I have learned to slap, slap a friend on the wrist. Hey, you know, that was a funny joke or something like that. <laughs> right. I for real though, like that went too far when right. you're talking about the racial issues or things like that. For white people, if you are truly loving, you don't, you know, you see people for the color of their skin, but you accept it. I'm not saying I don't see color. That's the stupidest thing ever. You see a color unless you're colorblind. <laughs> you see color, but you have to accept the color, accept right. the things that come with it. And if you're a white person and you're in your friend group and you hear people saying the N-word or they're making just really bad jokes or just things that really associate to a negative stereotype for another minority group, let it be known that's not acceptable here. You're stepping outside of the standard that Christ has set forth for us. And if you get more people acting like the church, that doesn't mean you can't have fun. That means if you're having fun, it better be the most loving fun you've ever had in your entire life. Change your definition of fun. Yeah. And that, I think, will be the first step to really seeing, especially younger generations, younger generations beginning to bridge that new gap. I have little expectation for 80-year-olds. I'm leaving that to the Holy Spirit. Right. My right. people who I relate most to, my job is to make sure once our grandparents pass away, our parents pass away, what world have we laid groundwork for for our children? Yeah. And that would be that. Well, Jairus... Can you just pray us out just with this divide that we see with black and white evangelicals and just in the church and just for the selection coming up, can you just be praying for the restoration uh, in the body? Yeah, yeah, of course. Let's pray. Well, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just come to you as humbly as we know how that even as whoever's listening to this podcast and even us, as we just sit before you that this is always an action and always a humility to come before you and say, we need you yeah. and we need you now, God. You know, this isn't uh, where we're coming to you just with a laundry list. God, we yearn for you, mm-hmm. that we don't want to do life without you. God, that your Holy Spirit just guide our thoughts and our hearts and our eyes and our ears, God, that the things that are not like you, not just in us, but in your local church, God, God, let just begin to just eradicate everything that isn't like you. God, in those moments where we just feel like we have to rely on our own wisdom and our own strength and all those just different things, Father, we ask that right now that your Holy Spirit just begin to guide us in this nation, that this shouldn't have become a surprise to us, just the heart and the deceitfulness of our nation when it's racism, bigotry, uh, conservatism versus liberalism, all these different things. It should not be a surprise to the church because it's a result of sin. But Father, let the church begin to raise up right now, just wherever they are. Let your Holy Spirit bring everyone on one accord. God, even for elections coming up in November, let no person stick to the closest to the political party, but who's going to protect their faith and who's really got the example that we want leading our Christian faith, who we want to be not just a lip lip professor, but a heart possessor, God. God, in this moment, begin to rest us assured. Give us a peace that surpasses all understanding across this nation as the church. But God, do most and foremost, raise the church up to take back responsibility over just orphans and widows and women who, you know, are step getting pregnant outside of marriage, but want to make decisions, whether it be abortion or non-abortion, all these different things. God, let the church be the place they run to. 
God, let the church be the place that comforts every person, wide arms, open wide. But God, let not one government agency or person skew people's mindsets to a political party, but let your Holy Spirit be a glue to bring people back to you. Mm -hmm. So Father, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. God, we thank you for what you're already doing, but most importantly, we thank you for who you are. Uh, Just the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, all alone. That you don't need us, but yet you want us. And Father, that's the highest honor. So we thank you. God, we love you. We adore you. And we're excited to do life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much, Jairus, for just coming on and explaining and going into depth about this topic. Uh, It really just... uh, filled me up and and made me learn and it was I felt like a learner in this conversation so thank you for that hey thank you so much for having me on and I really just hope that if anything people leave this conversation not more empowered by a political party but literally wanting to learn more about who God is and let him kind of lead their wisdom um, in all the decision making and not to feel scared to speak up but when you speak up it's a boldness in Christ not in their party I am so thankful for that prayer from Jairus, and I thank you for listening to this entire episode. I pray that after this, you can join us in prayer for the restoration that we need to see in the church and to strive to bridge this divide between believers. Again, please subscribe, share with others, and comment your favorite part. Lastly, thank you for being in this moment with us. Stay tuned for more episodes.